all the presence of the airships holding at their mercy the arsenals and the richest cities in the eastern states proved that tremendous and all as it was this was only a phase of some vast and mysterious cataclysm which might as easily involve the whole civilized world as it could overwhelm the united states of america by noon almost without striking a blow every dynamite cruiser and warship on the eastern coast had been seized and manned by the terrorists to the dismay of the authorities it was found that more than half the army and navy officers and men alike had obeyed the mysterious summons that had gone throughout the land the night before and matters reached a climax when as the clocks of washington were striking twelve the president himself was arrested in the white house all the streets of washington were in the hands of the terrorists and at one o'clock tremaine after posting guards at all the approaches entered the senate and in the name of natas proclaimed the constitution of the united states null and void and the government dissolved then with a copy of the constitution in his hand he proceeded to the steps of the capitol and in the presence of a vast throng of the armed members of the american section he proclaimed the federation of the english-speaking races of the world in virtue of their bonds of kindred blood and speech and common interests and amidst a scene of the wildest enthusiasm called upon all who owned those bonds to forget the artificial divisions that had separated them into hostile nations and communities and to follow the leadership of the brotherhood to the conquest of the earth then in a few strong and simple phrases he exposed the subservience of the government to the capitalist ring and described the inhuman compact that it had entered into with the arch-enemies of national freedom and personal liberty to crush the motherland of the anglo-saxon nations and for the sake of sordid gain to rivet the fetters of oppression upon the limbs of the race which for a thousand years had stood in the forefront of the battle for freedom as he concluded his appeal one mighty shout of wrath and execration rose up to heaven from a million throats he waited until this died away into silence then raising the copy of the constitution above his head he cried in clear ringing tones for a hundred and fifty years this has been boasted as the bulwark of liberty and used as the instrument of social and commercial oppression the republic of america has been governed not by patriots and statesmen but by millionaires and their hired political puppets it is therefore a fraud and a sham and deserves no longer to exist so saying he tore the paper into fragments and cast them into the air amidst a storm of cheers and volley after volley of musketry while the enthusiasm was at its height the ethereal suddenly swept downwards from the sky in full view of the mighty assemblage that swarmed around the capital she was greeted with a roar of wondering welcome for her appearance was the fulfilment of a promise upon which the success of the revolution in america had largely depended this was the promise issued by tremaine several days previously through the commanders of the various divisions of the section that as soon as the anglo-saxon federation was proclaimed and accepted in america the whole brotherhood throughout the world would fall into line with it and place its aerial navy at the disposal of its leaders practically this was giving the empire of the world in exchange for a money despotism of which every one save the millionaires and their servants had become heartily sick there were few who in their hearts did not believe the republic to be a colossal fraud and therefore there were few who regretted it the ethereal 
passed slowly over the heads of the wandering crowd, and came to a standstill alongside the steps on which Tremaine was standing. The crowd saw a man on her deck shake hands with Tremaine, and give him a folded paper. Then the airship swept gracefully upwards again in a spiral curve until she hung motionless over the dome of the capital. Amidst a silence born of breathless interest to know the import of this message from the sky, Tremaine opened the paper, glanced at its contents, and handed it to the senior officer in command of the brigades, who stood beside him. This man, a veteran who had grown grey in the service of the Brotherhood, advanced with the open paper in his hand and read out, in a loud voice, Nadas sends greetings to the Brotherhood in America. The work has been well done, and the reward of patient labourers at hand. This is to name Alan Tremaine, Chief of the Central Executive, First President of the Anglo-Saxon Federation throughout the world, and to invest him with the supreme authority for the ordering of its affairs. The aerial navy of the Brotherhood is placed at his disposal to cooperate with the armies and fleets of the Federation. Nadas. When the mighty shout of acclamation which greeted the reading of this commission had died away, Tremaine stepped forward again and spoke a few words that now remained to be said. I accept the office and all that it implies. The fate of the world lies in our hands, and as we decide it, so will the future lot of humanity be good or evil. The armies of the Franco-Slavonian League are now masters of the continent of Europe, and are preparing for the invasion of Britain. The first use I shall make of the authority now vested in me will be to summon the Tsar in the name of the Federation, to sheath the sword at once, and relinquish his designs on Britain. The moment that one of his soldiers sets foot on the sacred soil of our motherland, I shall declare war upon him, and it shall be a war, not of conquest, but of extermination, and we will make an end of tyranny on earth for ever. Now let those who are not on guard duty go to their homes, and remember that they are now citizens of a greater realm than the United States, and endowed with more than national duties and responsibilities. Let every man's person and property be respected, and let the penalty of all violence be death. Those who have plotted against the public welfare will be dealt with in due course, and yonder airship will be dispatched with our message to the Tsar at sundown. Long live the Federation! Millions of throats took up the cry as the last words left his lips until it rolled away from the capital in mighty waves of sound, flowing along the crowded streets and overrunning the utmost confines of the capital. Thus, without the loss of a hundred lives, and in a space of less than twelve hours, was the revolution in America accomplished. The triumph of the terrorists was as complete as it had been unexpected. Menaced by air and sea and land, the great centres of population made no resistance, and when they learnt the true object of the revolution, wanted to make none. No one really believed in the late government, and every one in his soul hated and despised the millionaires. There was no bond between them and their fellow-men but money, and the moment that was snapped they were looked upon in their true nature as criminals and outcasts from the pale of humanity. By sundown, when the ethereal left for the seat of war, the members of the Ring and those of the late government who refused to acknowledge the Federation were lodged in prison, and news had been received from Montreal that the simultaneous rising of the Canadian section had been completely successful, and that all the railways and arsenals and ships of war were in the hands of the terrorists, 
so completing the capture of the North American continent. The President of the Federation and his faithful subordinates went to work, without losing an hour, to reorganise as far as was necessary the internal affairs of the continent of which they had so suddenly become the undisputed masters. There was some trouble with the British authorities in Canada, who, from mistaken motives of duty to the mother country, at first refused to recognise the Federation. The consequence of this was that Tremaine went north the next day, and had an interview with the Governor-General at Montreal. At the same time he ordered six airships and twenty-five dynamite cruisers to blockade the St. Lawrence in the eastern ports. The Canadian Pacific Railway and the telegraph lines to the west were already in the hands of the terrorists, and a million men were under arms waiting his commands. A very brief explanation, therefore, sufficed to show the Governor that forcible resistance would not only be the purest madness, but that it would also seriously interfere with the working of the great scheme of the Federation, the object of which was not merely to place Britain in the first place among the nations, but to make the Anglo-Saxon race the one dominant power in the whole world. To all the Governor's objections on the score of loyalty to the British Crown, Tremaine, who heard him to the end without interruption, simply replied in a tone that precluded all further argument, "'The day of states and empires, and therefore of loyalty to sovereigns, has gone by. The history of nations is the history of intrigue, quarrelling, and bloodshed, and we are determined to put a stop to warfare for good and all. We hold in our hands the only power that can thwart the designs of the League and avert an era of tyranny and retrogression. That power we intend to use whether the British Government likes it or not. We shall save Britain.